right, good morning, church. Great to see you this morning. Take out your Bibles and turn to the book of James. That's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, while you're turning there, I want to mention last week, um, we had over 200 people in our church trained in biblical counseling 101 right here and in Dripping Springs, which is a huge uh, catalyst for us becoming that, that church that's a haven of hope and healing for the hurting in our community, the hurting even in our community, um, in our, our church community. And I just, man, I'm just so grateful to God for those of you who came. We had over uh, 70 that participated in the 201, the beginning of the 201 uh, training Wednesday night right here on this campus. And that's just a huge step in us accomplishing that vision that the Lord has given to us to prepare ourselves for the days when many people will seek seek help and seek the Lord in doing so, and uh, we are getting ourselves ready for that and preparing ourselves in a deep, deep way, and I just thank you uh, for that. And we will have another 101 uh, probably before summer, and we will have a 201. I'm looking at you, Holly. I'm sorry if I'm throwing it. <laughs> sorry. We'll probably have another 101 coming. We'll probably have another 201 after this semester is over at some point, and uh, we encourage you to come and be a part of that with us as we continue in preparing ourselves holistically as a church to prepare ourselves for our seasons that are coming. And um, also tonight, we are going to make another huge stride in accomplishing our vision of planting our campus in Butte Kyle as a church. We are going to be voting on our campus pastor candidate, Harley Rathel and Liz right here. Why don't you all just stand up and just wave to everybody so they know you're here today. Welcome. So glad y'all are with us today. And uh, you're going to get to know him a lot more tonight. And of course, I know he would love to meet you this morning. So overwhelm him. Don't let him go to lunch. Uh, sorry, I'm just going there. Uh, but he would love to meet you if you wanted to meet him this morning. But tonight, you'll all get to meet him. And uh, we'll, we'll meet in here tonight. And we'll talk. And we'll, we'll get to know them as a family and officially vote. And that will be a direction-setting movement for us as a church to move forward in the vision that God has laid out for us. So exciting, exciting times. I encourage you to come back tonight, bring a friend, and um, it's going to be it's going to be good. Okay. So we're in James chapter one, verse thirteen to sixteen. Uh, in your life groups, you are going to be going through the entire first chapter of James. That's going to encompass more um, more area scope of the chapter. And so um, encourage you to to have those conversations in your life group for the sake of our uh, series right now in temptation. I'm going to read from verse 13 to 16. And so let's, us as people, as the people of God, focus on the word of God and let, um, and open our hearts to him as we read. So let's read verse 13 all the way to 16. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. This is God's word. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to take our time. Father, we just commit this time to you. And Lord, it's our, it's our heart's desire uh, to live fully for you and the joy that comes with that and the victory that comes with that and the life that comes with that. And Lord, 
Our desire is not just for us to receive those things, which we will. Our desire is that we would represent you well in a dark world as light. And Lord, that we would do that for your glory. And so Lord, take the text today, unpack it by your spirit, shine light into the things that we need to see that maybe we don't see. Uh, Take us where you want us to go. Give us courage to follow you and be the people you've called us to be and make us that by your spirit as we yield to you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, We've all probably seen examples of the destructive nature of a moral failure in someone's life. I, I have seen destructive things happen to men of God who lead churches and lead spiritually and lead many, many people. And I've seen uh, situations where these men, some of them I don't even know, and I, I think to myself, I know this person, and, and yet they, they did this, and it just seems completely out of character for that person to do these types of things. And then you also, you come into that situation and you just grieve. You grieve the destruction that comes into their life with relationships that may have or relationship with their church or the ministry that they're part of and all the, all the, the, the grief that comes in from knowing the, the uh, devastation that happens as a result of that. Um, but also the thing you question in that moment is, like, I knew this person and, 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 and this happened and, 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 I, and I get terrified. Because I know that the same stuff's in me that was in them. And, I'm, and anybody, all of us and me, are all prone to be able to do the worst thing we can imagine. And it would be uncharacteristic of us. Have we go through some type of process where we get where they were and they made the decisions that they made? We're all capable. I'm capable. Anyone is capable as a human being to doing these things. And we also ask the question, though, uh, in that scenario when we see these kind of things is how did they get there you know how did that how did they get to that place how did they get to the place where we know that they were walking with god we know they love the lord and yet they got to a place where they did something completely out out of touch with that uh, how did they get to this this place well our passage today describes general dynamics of that process of how a person can get to that place even as a believer in christ Um, James starts out the entire first chapter in his letter is really all about this one word called tests. It's the word pirosmos. It's in the Greek and it means to test or to be tested or trial. Um, An environment or a situation where the nature or the strength of something or someone is being determined by external forces or pressures. And to test, according to James, most of the time he's talking about in chapter 1 leading up to our text, he's talking about, he's using this word in the context of seasons or even moments of hardships, difficulties. And so test, according to James, up until this point, in the very first part of the chapter, he says that we can face hardships in life Hardships in life because of decisions we've made and we brought it on ourselves. 
Or even you just live in a fallen world and it just got dropped into your lap. You got dealt a bad hand. Bad thing happened to you. And it's the kind of thing we don't look forward to. It's the kind of thing we buy insurance for. It's the kind of thing we try to avoid with all our might because we don't like them. Uh, But yet inevitably they come into all of our lives and they're hardships. And he calls them trials. He calls them tests. He uses this word to refer to those things. And James says at the very beginning that believers in Christ can actually approach hardships, these trials, these tests, with with joy. It's not that we can rejoice um, for the specific thing that is bringing hardship. It's that we have a joyful anticipation of what the hardship could produce in our lives because it has a purpose from God in our lives. And so we have a joyful anticipation of what this hardship might bring as in good things. The bad thing bringing a good thing into our lives. And we can approach these hard times with a sense of joyful anticipation of what it might bring to us. And so James uses the, the word to refer to hardships as tests and trial up until this point. But this Greek word um, actually can have multiple meanings and used in different contexts. So like in English, we can say... Um, I will park my car at the park, right? Same word, different meaning because it's used in a different context and you have to know the context to know what, what, in what way you're using it. Well, the Greek word, pirosmos, has the same effect in the Greek and it can be used in different ways, meaning slightly different things. It can mean a test, an exam, a trial, a moment where the, the press is put on to, to determine the nature of something or someone, right? But it can also be used as the same term to be temptation. This is why the two terms are often used together in church circles and in tradition. You hear trials and temptations, right? Uh, well, both of those words are one word in the Greek, and they're used interchangeably. But I believe that the two terms are merely two forms of testing. The word has a, a, a large scope of meaning, but one scope of that term when regards to tests is temptation. So temptation is also a moment of testing in our lives. The main thing that a test does is it reveals. It reveals. Tests are there to reveal certain things, and I want to share a couple of things with you about that. First, tests reveal our core. Uh, Tests brings out what can't be seen on the outside. Who would have guessed that the president of Ukraine would respond the way he has in the context in which he is in. To dig in and to fight to the death in great valor in his country. Up to this point, you would have had to debate whether what he would do and know what is in him. And yet now in the context, uh, we see what he does and we know what's in him. Because of the context, the test this period of time where he's facing the reality of something and he's, he's showing himself determined. Who of us aren't inspired by the valor that he responded in which he said to the offer to evacuate him, he said, I need ammunition, not a ride. 
Well, that's declaring of something in him that no one would have known is in him until he's in that very moment and his life is truly on the line. You find out what's in a man. Uh, Well, tests do that. And we don't have maybe that level of tests in our life every day, but we have tests. You're going to have tests and levels of tests, and it's going to reveal things about you, and it's going to reveal what's in you. When you squeeze something, what comes out is what's inside. And that's how you find out what's inside, is when, it's, when the squeeze is come on. So tests reveal our core. But then tests reveal our competency as well. How does a teacher know if you really comprehend the material? By testing you. How thorough do you know the material? By, by testing you, testing your confidence. So testing grounds reveal how competent you are in something. But then tests reveal also our capacity. Meaning that tests reveal how much pressure we can handle. How much hardship we can handle. And so how much of the pressure of external forces can we withstand? Well, a test will reveal that. Job was able to endure the most severe pressure on his life. And what God knew would happen is that Job would be found to be a high capacity, faithful to God man. That he had the capacity to handle the most severe hardships that came into his life. And so tests reveal our capacity. But tests don't just reveal. Tests are also opportunities to develop our character, to actually change the nature of what's in us. So tests also have this this, um, dynamic as well. There is a reward factor in tests. As we navigate the test faithfully and we come through a testing season, having remained true to God's word, we receive the benefits of that, of passing the test. And one of the main benefits of passing a test is having your character forged to a greater capacity, greater competency, and your core is better than it was. Tests have also this forging factor within us. Temptations are testing grounds. They're proving grounds. And they do the same thing. Temptations are opportunities in our lives to grow stronger in moral character in the Lord or to grow stronger in moral corruption. And that's the fork in the road. And that's the opportunity that temptation affords us I believe that's how he's using the word temptation right here in James 1, 13 to 16. And the point here is this. We should not think that Christian growth is primarily summed up by how much we know alone. You can know a lot about the Bible and actually be a very weak and baby Christian. Christian growth is primarily about how much we endure what we in what we know in the test. Now that is where growth opportunity is. 
One of the core ways we grow in our faith is facing temptation and passing the test for strong moral character in the Lord. Let me say this as well, as a side note for those of you who uh, might be tempted in this way. We should not pursue temptation for this purpose. Well, he said, you know, I can grow through temptation, so I'm going to go right over there, you know. Of course not. That would be incredibly foolish, and you would be far, uh, far underestimating your abilities, and you would be showing a pride, and that would all take you down. Don't go there. You do not go pursue temptation for the sake of the, t- of the benefits of it. Avoid it with all your might. But we know something about temptation. It is inevitable. You cannot avoid it. It will find its way into your lap. And when it does, pass the test. Pass the test. And I want to give you a couple of principles from our text in passing the temptation test. Okay? First, no justifications. No excuses. No reasons why you should yield. Position yourself. No justifications. And there's one major justification that James mentions here. And it's hard for us to somehow believe that someone could get to this place. But oh, we get there. And we can get there really quick. He says in verse 13, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. In other words, it's the idea that God is testing us by tempting us. And James is saying, no, no, no. That's a different term and and used in a different way. God tests us, but God doesn't tempt us. And we should not confuse the two. Many people in temptation feel as though it feels so good it can't be wrong. And we even write songs in that regard. And James says, when we are in temptation, one justification we can make is this must be God's will. It's so powerful. It feels so good. It must be God doing something for me or providing me something. God must allow this temptation to drag me away. If God didn't want me to yield to it, surely he wouldn't have it in my life to be so overpowering. We can get real good justifying yielding to temptation in fact you can probably come up with some better ones but that's the one that james mentions here and these justifications no matter what they are if it means yielding to the temptation it weakens us to a place where we will almost certainly fail in the test so god does test us but god does not tempt us we are no more forced to sin when tempted any more than just because we go to the mall, we have to buy something. That might be the position of some of us. I'm a purchaser. Chrissy's a shopper. I actually go to the mall because I have to buy something, right? But you get the point. So when tempted, we need to position ourselves. Trying to think of the unintended meaning that that might have gotten the whole laugh in the room for And I have no idea what it is. Let's just keep going. (laughs) So when tempted, we need to position ourselves at making no justification to yielding to it. 
Because we will create all kinds of justification in temptation to yielding to it. And it must be God. It must be God's way. Secondly, own it. Own it. He says this, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Connect these two things. You want to know what temptation really is. It's the evil desire in you being placed in an environment with enticement of that evil desire. That's temptation. Okay? So here's the formula. Internal evil desire is there. I talked about that last week. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say sinful nature, we all have it. And, and, and yet, so go back to last week and, and watch that. But internal evil desire, that sinful nature, being put in an environment where it is being enticed and drawn out and empowered and strengthened. That is the place of temptation. The quickest way to clarify the clarity in temptation is to recognize that your temptation comes from you and not from the external thing. And let me give you an example. Two people. One of them has smoked their whole life and they're a month into trying to quit. The other person has never touched a cigarette in their whole life. They think they're disgusting. They smell, hate the smell of them and all that. Okay, two people. They both walk into a convenience store to buy a Coke. And they both get to the cash register to buy the Coke. And they look at the wall on the back side of the convenience store. And it's nothing but a wall of a carton of cigarettes. All right. Which one of these people are going to have the hardest time walking out of there without buying a cigarette? Obviously, right? This is, I'm trying to lead you down a path. It's obviously the one who's just trying to quit, right? The other person probably doesn't even notice their cigarettes there. Where does it come from then? Is it the cigarettes or is it inside? It's inside. That's what James is saying. The, the temptation you're feeling is coming from within you. Yes, there might be an external lure, but it's only because you have this thing going on in your heart that the external lure is a lure. It's you. And it's in us. So, it comes from within. I've heard of grown men who can move very heavy things stronger than an ox and yet they would say that the temptation to sexual sin through being in the environment of porn is like a power that grabs them by the neck and throws them around like a rag doll they feel powerless against it well James says this the power that is dragging you around and making you feel powerless is in you not necessarily the external thing the lure but the first step in Having the power to defeat this enemy in you is owning that you are being mastered by your sinful nature. It's in you. Own that fact. It's my own sinful nature. I can't blame God or anything else or anyone else. I can't justify it as God. I can't blame anyone else. The temptation I'm facing comes from my own evil desire. It is evil. It is against God. It is against me. It is sin. And own it. And there at least you'll align yourself as, and you'll see it and treat it as your enemy. So own it. Next, understand the progression. There is a progressive nature to this thing that you need to be clear on. He says this in verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment 
three buckets on a tier system. You know, kind of like you have a fountain in your yard. The water fills up in the first bucket, and it gets full, and it spills over into the second bucket. And then that one fills up, and then it spills over into the third bucket, and then that one fills up. Okay, so imagine three buckets in a tier system kind of like, like, like that, okay? The first bucket James is talking about is the act, the act of temptation itself, okay? It's the inner desires being in the context where they're being enticed. And this lasts for a time. This can last for a time. And bucket number one is not sin. Bucket number one is the realm of temptation. And it has a brewing, strengthening, filling kind of dynamic. He even mentions it that like this birth and, and then pregnancy and uh, like, like conception and pregnancy to birth. Like a, a full, like a growth, a growth, growth, and then happens, okay? So I call it like the buckets being filled. This is what he's talking about. And so bur- bucket one is the temptation. Bucket two is it's the temptation bruised, bruised desires get enticed to a point where it spills over and sin. You enter into the bucket of sin. And then even in sin, by the way, let me go back. Bucket number one, you hang out long enough with your evil desire in an environment where it's being constantly enticed. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. You keep a context where your evil desire and you're constantly keeping yourself in a context where you're constantly being tempted. It's just a matter of time. So you fill up. It fills up. The desire comes full and goes into sin. This is the second bucket. And sin even has a growth and a filling kind of process is what he's talking about here. Sin, when it is full grown, will say the bucket is full in sin. In other words, I continuously yield to this sin unrepentantly. I keep yielding to it, and I keep yielding to it. And that bucket, every time I'm yielding to it, is growing more and more full. And then he says, and when it gets full, it spills into this third bucket called Decay and death. You could say decay or the dying process. You enter into the dying process. James says when sin is engaged long enough, it enters into this decaying place. In other words, the person is losing spiritual sensitivities. Their conscience is probably being numbed where they can't feel the weight of what they're doing. They can't feel the seriousness of it. They have some things numbed. They continue to do it and they begin decaying spiritually on the inside and they are dying a slow death, the death of God's joy in their heart, the death of God's awareness in their heart. Um, All of these things are beginning to decay and he says that's the death he's talking about. And so when the sinful nature in us has had its way fully over a long period of time, anything is possible. Anything is possible for any person. Even a believer who has given themselves that much time, unrepentant, unconfessed, continuing in these rhythms, continuing in these rhythms, you can, be, you can end up anywhere. Now let me say this. Could it be that much of what we call mental illness in America today could be coming from this very principle? Sin has been taken so far and yielded to for so long, the decay death cycle has become crept up into the mind and the heart of a person and totally ensnared them. 
created confusion and chaos and created emotional, all kind of negative emotional, even physiological effects. Now let me pause here and say this. I am not saying that all mental illness is a result of direct sin in a person's life. No, you can have mental illnesses and struggles that you have as a person that lives in a fallen world with a fallen body and all those types of things. But I am saying much that we are tagging perhaps as mental illness can be attributed to a very uh, very practical biblical principle here, and that is just the person has yielded the evil desire in their heart to sin, and they are suffering from the effects of it, depression, anxiety, emotional stress, all types of things that are going to come from that. It is a tormentor when it gets in control. It is the tormentor in our souls when we yield to it and let it have its way. It gets dominant and it becomes a tormentor. Well, how do you stop the three-bucket system in your life? Confession and repentance. And I got good news. If you're going down that cycle and you feel the Spirit of God going, Hey, what are you doing? Respond. Get back to life. Come back and receive His forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us. He'll set the record straight and forgive us. But not just that. He'll cleanse us. Amen. Thank you for cleaning us, Lord. Cleaning our soul. Putting that flesh back where it belongs. He's always faithful to do that for you. The important thing you need to know is that confession and repentance must be a continual rhythm in your life. Or you are in a danger of a trap. Confession and repentance is out of the trap. Cleanse you. He puts you back on your feet. He starts you anew. You can have that any time you want it. You can do that this morning. If you're deep into the process, doesn't matter. Start back today. He will cleanse you. Pray. Seek him. Confess what needs to be confessed to him. Get the cleansing that he provides to you by his grace, by his spirit. You can do that right here this morning and let your heart leave you out of here with joy, with a new perspective and living a different life. Okay? Amen. It's all coming from the cross. Next, identify weaknesses. This is another way, though, to preventative measures of temptation. Every one of us has a weakness that we know is clearly leading us to sin. We know, we feel it. Sometimes you don't know. And the Word of God, we're going to talk about that next week, actually exposes some things and you have to like start resisting it and you didn't know it was a problem. Um, so we all have an area that we gravitate toward more forcefully than others, i.e. the cigarette illustration, Right? Um, you have one thing, I have another, but we all have a thing. All of us have a thing. And so when that desire begins to grow, it can master you. It comes in control. Um, and you need to identify what that thing is. Maybe it's something like the abuse of a substance, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be. Maybe it's lust or envy or gluttony. I'm just running down the cardinal sin, so I've gotten everybody in this, okay? So I'm not, nothing personal. Uh, gossip, you know, you just get into a gossip situation and your heart gets full of delight. And I felt that myself. And you just start going, I want in on this. And, and, and there you go. Uh, maybe it's anger. Um, and you know what triggers the anger and you have an unhealthy anger or pride. Maybe it's greed. Greed's the sneaky one. It sneaks up on you and takes over and you didn't know it was there until someone asked you to give. And then all of a sudden, boom, you realize I can't. Uh, greed gets you. Maybe you have an unhealthy attraction to power and control. 
Um, all of us are prone to these things. Maybe it's a religious sin like self-righteousness, judgmentalism, or legalism like the Pharisees had in Jesus' day. And he treated that differently than the others, right? One thing is for sure, you will never overcome anything that you don't identify by the grace of the Spirit of Jesus in your heart. Identify it, call it what it is, and line yourself against it. It is your enemy. And so identify your weaknesses. Then establish boundaries. Temptation is mostly created by an external environment or a situation. Temptation can be tied to a location or a certain situation. I know many addicts are are more prone to go back into an addiction when there's a transition of life. You move from one place to another and you start a whole other cycle. Or when something bad happens in their life, they lose a loved one, they lose a job or something like that. They're much more prone. These are much more prone situations. It can be situations. It can be a location. You know, I can't walk in that place. If I walk in that place with all those cigarettes, I'm going to, when you name your thing, but you know there's certain locations that you can't go. And did you know your brain is so powerful? God's given you such an interesting tool that once you make brain pathways in your head you can walk into a place after a long period of time and your brain recognizes a smell or recognizes a place and all of a sudden impulses come for you to do that thing again and and just because your brain goes oh it's that place again we're going to do that (laughs) and you're going whoa whoa where'd that come from your brain is powerful and and part of the christian life is actually rewiring your brain and teaching your brain um, what to think about different things so establish boundaries you know there's some places you cannot go There are some situations you cannot handle. You have to have reinforcements. You have to have boundaries. You have to put this stuff in your life. Proverbs 4, 14 to 15 says, Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go your own way. Practices and boundaries you set in your life to serve the purpose of keeping temptation, that bucket, very short. Very short. You know the the thing, so, so watch it. So which bucket is the bucket to fight temptation the best? Number one, right? Don't do it. Avoid it. That's the point, right? Reroute your desires next. One of the quickest ways to stir an evil desire within us toward the things that will entice us is to dwell on it. Stay in it. Dwell on it. And that's what temptation is. We just keep ourselves in the middle of this enticing circumstance or season or moment we just stay there and we take it in the battle we're to fight is in the mind many 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 times and we need to learn in the moment to recognize the temptation and reroute our mind and rush to the things that quench the fire of those desires being enticed and where do we go i don't know make your own plan uh, but make sure it's in accordance with philippians chapter 4 verse 8 to 9 finally brothers whatever's true make your go-to truth maybe the god's word maybe it's a passage of scripture maybe it's a buddy who's going to hold you to the truth whatever it might be you go to truth Uh, whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there is any excellence if there is is anything worthy of praise think about these things make those your go-to um and and this is what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the god of peace will be with you so Go to those things when you feel that temptation zone. Shift your thoughts. Put a stop there and redirect to that thing. And you need to know what the specific truth thing is or the joyful thing or the thing that quelches the temptation in you. What is that thing that you delight in? And, and, and that it is good and good for your soul and pure. And then go, I'm going there. I'm going there. I'm going to stay there until it dies. The desire is quelched. 
That's where I'm going to go. Joseph found himself in a situation in the house one day. And look what it says. Very interesting passage. Genesis 31, 11 to 12. It says, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house. Very important phrase. Worked for Potiphar. He, he basically was in charge of the whole thing. And the wife kept wanting him to lie with her, literally. Like, and then nagged him about it constantly. The temptation was not as much up to this point. Why? Because everybody's around. And Joseph knows, well, I've got everybody around. I can hang in this situation as long as everybody's around, right? That's why we do that in the ministry. We don't meet privately with women. That's one of the boundaries that we put in there. So we have these people around and everything's fine. But what happens? He stumbles across one day when the guys aren't around. There she is, and she's coming on strong. And what does he do? So she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. I have to move my person away from this context or I'm going to fall. I have to literally get myself out of here. And that's the key phrase here. Um, No one is in the house. Joseph attacked bucket number one. He felt it coming. And what did he do? Flee, flee. Apply the flee principle also. You may have to apply it to your physical person and get out when you feel these things happening. But you may have to apply this to your mind, your own mind, and apply it to a physical situation. Um, Apply it to a thought pattern that you know is brewing unhealthy things in your heart. So when you feel that desire begin to rise, you know it's not a good thought. It'll only produce bad things in your heart. Flee, redirect. Get it out of there. Go to something else. And the something else is very important. We're going to talk about that next week. Here's my last point. Here it is. Nothing I have said to you in this sermon, you have the power to do. You can't do what I just said on your own. You have no power. And you can get in a tug of war with your own sinful nature on your own and think you're going to defeat it all you want. And you might actually defeat one aspect of it, but it'll get you on another one. You can't. The Bible clearly teaches you need a power that is more powerful than you and more powerful than your own sinful nature to enter into you and free you and strengthen you to do what I said here. Our power comes from the Lord. I can't stress enough. Don't miss next week. We're going to be talking about the power that enters in. That every Christian receives. That actually kills the flesh. And the process in a Christian's life. Where the flesh is continually killed. You decay on one bucket system. But you know what? There's another bucket system. And we're going to talk about that next week. Where the the evil in you is decaying and dying. And that's what we're after. And so that's next week. And I always hate to say that as a pastor. go, well, you just told him a whole bunch of good stuff that doesn't mean nothing until next week. I'm really sorry about that. I'm out of time and I know you're hungry. But just know this. By the power that flows from Calvary is the only power that we can walk in this type of victory. That's it. The Spirit of Jesus providing us power and killing what's in us that wants to kill us. It's the only way. It's the only way. You get apart apart from that, you get on your own, and you're going to go down. Keep the Spirit of Jesus. You need to receive the grace of Jesus this morning. Do it. 
Do it. It's so simple, and, and it's so, it could be done so quick. You just have to open your heart and not put up a stiff arm with God. He'll, he will love you. He'll cleanse you. He'll get you right. He'll put you back on bucket one, and, and, and you can start afresh in a new, in, in a new pattern today, and it will fill your heart with joy, and you'll feel victory. Humble yourself. Receive it. And let him cleanse you today. Amen? Let's pray. While you're bowed, I do want to ask you a quick question. Do you know Christ? He came for you to free you from your sinful nature. He died that we would live free. And if you want power over sin, you have to drink from the grace that flows from the cross of Calvary. Receive him today and be free. Be cleansed. Be forgiven. Be saved. Become his child. He will forgive and cleanse and save you and give life to your soul. Do that this morning. Believer, have you allowed sin to creep in and gain power in your heart that once was free? Repent today. Return to your first love. Confess it to him. Receive his mercy. And with his grace, it is always the right time to do the right thing. And you always have the opportunity to make it right. Hear the voice of the spirit and watch today and live free. Father, we in worship, we bow before you and we open ourselves to you. You are the God who created all things and created us. You sent your son to die for us on a cross. He took our sins and he gives us his life. What a great transaction. And Lord, may we feed upon that life today. Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts, cleanse us, clarify, set us on our feet, free us from deceit, and help us to live in victory for your own glory. Take this time of response, help every heart fully respond to you and experience the benefits of it. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Amen. Will you stand with me all across the room? Let's sing this song together and do some business with the Lord.